I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Congratulations to Blake Snell. He wins his 20th game of the season for the Rays. That ties David Price for the most wins in franchise history. The Rays red hot 22-5 since August 19th. Meanwhile, Jameis Winston is being sued by the Uber driver who accused him of sexual assault by groping her back in March of 2016. Could this have been totally avoided? And the Bucks begin a social justice initiative. I was at the Tampa Police Department training facility to cover that event on Tuesday. We'll tell you about that. And the Tampa Bay Lightning opened the preseason with a 4-1 to loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. Steve was there for that. And we've got an effort from some Pro Football Hall of Fame players to get money from the NFL gone bad that we're going to tell you about we have all that and more in this edition of sports day tampa bay i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times along with producer steve versnick before we get started on this podcast is swimming with the manatees on your bucket list if so seven days a week you can do just that with captain mike's swimming with the manatees in crystal river it's the ultimate family bonding experience ask about their 30 dollar manatee bronze tour And be sure to ask about a free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military. Requires a purchase of two silver tickets at a regular price. After that, you're eligible for a free tour. Book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-571-1888. So Blake Snell gets win number 20, Steve. And uh, I'm telling you, this is just continuing to be an epic year for the Rays and a terrific year for Blake Snell. His ERA... Now below two, I believe. One nine seven. Five five shutout innings tonight in Texas. Allows one hit. Yeah, I mean this this is becoming. I mean this is epic Sandy Koufax stuff. I mean for a left hander, you know, uh, you know he ties David Price for the most wins in franchise history. Has a chance to break that to set the record. You know, with Chris Sale being on the mend and everything. I mean, I think. I really do legitimately think now that that baseball will recognize Blake Snell as the best pitcher in the American League. Well, I don't remember where I heard this stat, so I can't tell you it's one hundred percent true. But I think it's been it, it's been since the nineteen eighties that a pitcher led the league in wins and ERA and didn't win the Cy Young. Makes sense. And Blake is, has twenty wins. He's the first pitcher in baseball to get to twenty. Corey Kluber's got nineteen, and his ERA is at one nine seven. The next best pitcher in the American League is Trevor Bauer at two twenty two. Because Chris Sale doesn't have enough innings pitched anymore to qualify for the ERA title. Right. And if you just – I mean, look, he's been great all year, but if you took like maybe his, you know, since about June and looked at what he's done, um, it's even more remarkable. So uh, he, he's just been on fire, as as have the Rays, who just can't lose, it seems. 22-5 and five since August 19th. 22 and 5. I mean, that's again, that's an epic stretch for them historically. And unfortunately, like I said, the A's continue to go right along with them. They're not going to catch the A's. This thing is pretty much over, right, Steve? Well, if the A's go 500 the rest of the way, they have 12 games remaining, including the mm-hmm. game tonight as we're recording this. They're playing now and they're leading. 
But if they go 500, that means the Rays cannot lose a game the rest of the way. Yeah. If they go, if the A's go a game above 500, seven and five, it's over. I mean, it's not going to happen, and it's unfortunate of all the years for the Rays to to come out with with this sort of a season that no one expected. They are now 18 games over 500, and what does that mean? Well, except for the AL East, you remove that, they would be leading the NL East, leading the NL East, leading the NL West. That's two divisions in baseball that they would now have the division lead and tied for a third division in the AL Central lead. Well, they have 84 wins now with 12 games to play. Last year in the American League, 85 wins got the second wild card. And if the Rays go 500 the rest of the way, there are 12 games remaining, they'll have 90 wins. And they could easily go above 500 as they've been playing. We just mentioned 22-5. and five. So, I mean, right now it looks like they're going to finish realistically with one of the top at least five win totals in Rays history. The, the highest win total was 97 and 08. They won 96 in 2010, and I think around 90, 92 or something like that in 2013. So somewhere mm-hmm. in there, 90 to, to 92, 93 wins is where they're going to finish. But if you put in perspective where they began, the words tanking being used by certain people on this podcast and other other places, and, and I will gladly tell everybody, I, t- I thought for sure they were going to lose over 100 games, and here they are going to win over 90 games, it would seem. Um, this has just been a remarkable season. I heard Kevin Cash on the radio uh, just the other day, and he was talking about the stretch that they're on, you know, since they started playing this well, uh, and just sort of what it's been like and what, what, what he has learned the most. And he says, you know, these guys, day in, day out, and this is not an easy thing to do, believe me, but day in and day out, they come to the ballpark and they all, like the effort level is is high. You know, you never, I mean, most of the time in baseball, you're going to have some clunkers. You know, you're just going to mm-hmm. go out there and like night, you know, maybe a long road trip or day game after a night game, whatever. And you're just going to, and you're just not going to have it. You, you know, some, not everyone's going to play hard. Not everyone's going to be, you know, chomping at the bit, ready to go and play nine innings really hard. That's not been the case with this team. And whether it's the youth of their team, which is, certainly, I think, to their advantage right now. But they also have a mix of veterans because, you know, all it would take would be a couple of veterans kind of like, eh, let's jake it for a while here. We're playing well. Let's just, you know, don't worry about it, guys. We'll get them tomorrow. But the veterans they have on this ball club are are really, you know, highly motivated, high-energy guys, even a Carlos Gomez or somebody like that. Well, I think Gomez comes, and Romo are the two biggest veterans, and they're kind of yeah. the ones keeping it loose. They're Yeah. You know, Gomez hasn't played that much the whole second half of the season. But he's the first one out there celebrating. He's keeping it loose. He's having fun in the dugout. You see him, you know, the camera pans to him all the time because he's having fun. Yeah. It's the energy. It's the youthful energy of this ball club plus, you know, guys like Gomez and uh, and you mentioned Romo, those guys that are keeping it loose. Um, just fun to watch. But what are we seeing? I mean, what are we watching with Blake Snell? I mean, this guy is all of, is he what, 25 years old? He's 25. He's the... Youngest uh, pitcher, I'm not sure if it's baseball or AL, to win 20 games uh, at the age of 25 or younger since Johan Santana in 2004. Think about that. I mean, he's just a baby, really, from a baseball standpoint. And and to come into your own and and post 20 wins um, and have a chance to go to 21 and set the franchise record now before this thing is over, uh, it's it's just been – and his stuff – just plays so well. I mean, he's got four just, you know, wipe out A-plus a, a plus pitches 
and and he's been virtually, I mean, unhittable. Now I know Texas doesn't have a great lineup, but you know he spends, you know, five innings he breezes through with no runs again. But it doesn't matter who he's faced. No, no, and, the Cleveland Indians look sick against. And him. if you recall, I mean, for years now, we had heard about Blake Snell. Blake Snell, he was the one yeah. arm in, in the minors, and you know he struggled last year, and he's talked about it. And really, at the tail end of the last season, he kind of turned it around. And he talked about it. he had some. It was more. It was all mental. He had some yeah. some girlfriend issues, relationship, and, yeah, you know, relationship issues, and some other things that, you know, mentally he was, you know, playing video games too late and not not preparing well enough, and, you know, he got the the mental part of the game is so important, and that's you know oh, yeah. that's what really separates the great ones from the good ones. There's a lot of guys that have three four pitches, but can they? There's two there's two parts to pretty much any sport. It's the mental part of it and the consistency. Can you do it consistently? And, you know, we've heard that he was going to be a star, and he's definitely proving it. And if you remember at the All-Star game, you know, Blake Snell wanted to to talk to Chris Sale and about pitching and that. And Chris Sale's like, what's he talking to me for? <laughs> I should be talking he's, to him. I, you know, he's he's fantastic. You know, I'm yeah. paraphrasing there. But well, you if know. you remember, he, he was left off the All-Star team. Yes, exactly. Which was a crime Initially. in itself. Right. So they should reevaluate how they do that. Well, you know, that Kyle remember Snyder, that voting was took place three, four weeks prior to you know the actual teams being named instead of you know leading right up to it. Kyle Snyder tells a story where he went out you know once he became the pitching coach in the off season he went out to uh, wherever they're are they from Seattle or somewhere out there. Uh, towards yeah, Blake's from the West Seattle, Coast. yes, yeah, yeah. And so Snyder went out there and sat down with him, and they had a they had a real you know kind of a heart to heart. Of course, Snyder knows him you know coming up with him mm-hmm. through the minor leagues. Yep. Which I think is a big, you know what? And, and look, I I think Jim Hickey's one of the best, obviously one of the best pitching coaches in baseball. But I don't think it hurt particularly Blake Snell to have Kyle Snyder's in the major league this year. You know, Kyle Snyder has, has been a guy that's known him when he went down to Durham. Snyder was there to help, you know, put him back together and those kind of things. But he went out, he went out to Seattle, I think, and he had like a heart to heart, or so the story goes, and. Blake sat down with him, and Blake told him, he goes, I want to be the best pitcher in baseball mm-hmm. this year. Like this, My goal is like I, I want to be the best pitcher this year in baseball. And he was serious. And, you know, it's I, I'm sure a lot of guys say that, you know, and, and sort of you're like, yeah, yeah, well, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, try, to, let's try to just uh, be consistent <laughs> and see if we can get through a season. But he went out there and did it. And that is so – like incredible to me in professional sports when some guy calls his shot. You know what I mean? Like, no, I really mean it. I think I can be the best left-hander in the game. I think I can be whatever it is, you know, the best best quarterback. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. um, guys that call their shots like that and then go and do it is remarkable to me. It shows how driven, how focused they are. I mean, and of all sports, baseball, where you can, I mean, such a long, long sport. And as a pitcher, you're only working every five days and, so many distractions and things that can go on. Uh, and he has just, just been so consistent. And you're right. A lot of guys have, have arm, great arms and, and good command of a bunch of pitches. And we've seen – I mean, look, what have we talked about with Chris Archer all these years? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now, Chris doesn't have quite the repertoire that Blake Snell has. But up until even – and even including maybe the start of this year, people were saying, well, you know, Chris Archer might be the ace. Or might be you know the number one or something like that, but he's never been able to be consistent about it. He's never had sort of that 
that mental makeup mm-hmm. uh, on the mound that would allow him to do it. But man, Blake Snell, who looks like a baby, and is and again he's only twenty five. Um, man, just just a remarkable year. When in a year two, Steve, when they didn't have, in other words, you know they were using openers, okay. And and so many of their starters, where there was you know Jake Faria and all these guys kept going down on the DL, uh, and it was bullpen night every night until you handed the ball to Blake Snell, mm-hmm. and then Blake Snell was expected, no man, this is your game, and he he'd go out there and just you know just put up zeros. Well, I still go back to the Rays, you know, are eighteen games above five hundred, sure. and when Blake Snell factors in the decision, they're fifteen games above five hundred. Wow. I mean, you know, yeah. as, as we talk about, you know, start thinking about next year. Mm. And, you know, I was having this conversation the other day with someone and about, you know, and, and I think a lot of next year is going to be how these young guys spend the off season and how they come into spring training. And, you know, do they do they buy into their own press clippings or are they working just as hard in that? You know, that that's hard yeah. for a young guy sometimes. But really, it's as Blake Snell goes, this team will go next year. Much like it has yeah, this year. I mean, as long as he, he is, t- you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be 20 and 5. Right. But he needs to be there every five days, mm-hmm. pitching well, keeping his teams in games, and giving them a shot to win every game. If they, yeah. if they can do that every five games, and then, you, you know, you've got the other pitchers around them and some of the younger guys that will be having more experience now, they'll be fine next year. That's how you avoid those long losing streaks that they had at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. which would have made all the difference if they could have avoided that. You know the the thing about this team is that it's a young it's a young predominantly young baseball team and these guys are still whether it's Jake Bowers or Willie Adamas they're still trying to establish themselves. I mean this is this year will go a heck of a long ways to helping their confidence and mm-hmm. when they come to spring training next year you would think. But it's also an organization that's being pushed from the bottom. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of you know they're winning championships at every level below them. Durham has there's won. There's good players. Yeah. Um, the uh, Bowling Green, I think, just won their championship. Yeah. Um, every every one of their minor league organizations was above 500 this year and competing yeah, for a playoff. Yeah, the playoffs, spot. I believe. Yeah. I, uh, one or two didn't make it, but almost everyone did. And the other ones were good teams, just didn't make the playoffs. Right. And so when you have an organization that's being pushed like that by prospects who are, are trying to crawl over each other to the major leagues, that's, that's when no one takes a break. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they know – they know the talent in their system, and when they go to spring training and they see the 40-man, there's a lot of guys that are trying to get very few jobs, and mm-hmm. that's, that's what keeps your edge. You know, that, that's, what, that, that's what drives these guys who are, you know, some of whom, I mean, their biggest stars, Adamas and Jake Bowers, won't even have a full season in the major leagues when they start next year. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and we're going to talk about the Lightning coming up, too, as they open preseason tonight, but that's an organization that – Every time you think that the roster's full and no one's going to make the roster, here comes Braden Point. Here That's comes Yanni right. Gord. Here comes Mikhail Sergachev. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's being pushed from the bottom, and that's what that's what strong organizations are. And that's what yes. the Rays are becoming now. I mean, in the last four years since Andrew Friedman left, you have to really give credit to Eric Neander, Hein Bloom, and everybody. They have completely yep. rebuilt the whole farm system. The minor league system, yeah. Which was pretty bare by the time Andrew Friedman left. Oh, you think? Especially their, of position players. Their yeah. amateur scouting was not very good. Andrew nope. Friedman's scouting for major league talent and finding guys that you can tweak something and, and you know rein, reinvigorate their careers at the major league level, they were phenomenal at that. But their amateur scouting was not very good. 
draft after draft of bad bad drafts where you're not getting many prospects out of there. Yeah. The the current the current regime has completely rebuilt the farm system. Some of it through trade, some of it through drafting and that. And they're building winners at the minor league level, which is what Jake Jake Bowers and Willie Adamas and this whole crew coming up from Durham, they've won at every level in the minor leagues. And they're carrying it on in that confidence into the major leagues. And it's exciting and fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's it's been great. And I, I think it's going to stay great. And if they can ever get that stadium uh, built in Ebor, and, you know, by the time this team were to move in two or three years and, you know, add some free agents to it, if they have, have some holes, um, it can be a contender. Unfortunately, this has been just an epic year for the Boston Red Sox in the American League East. I mean – you know, most years those teams are beating each other up, but you know Baltimore was horrific this season. Toronto, really bad, and so it was. You know, it was a two horse race essentially with the Rays getting off to such a bad start. Um, otherwise, this many wins would put you in the thick of, like we just said, be winning two divisions and tied for the lead in a third. Um, and in the American League or the American League East in particular, you'd be in it. But it's just been. You know, the Yankees and Red Sox just just ran away from everybody. It's really a shame because you wonder what the season would have been like had they not opened the season with Boston, New York, Boston. Right. I mean, right. you know, who turns out to be the, the top two teams in the American League, although Houston's actually passed the Yankees by now, but two of the top three teams in the American League. Your first mm-hmm. nine games were against them, and you went one and eight. Yeah. And you were in a lot. Boston kind of blew you. You were in with the games with the Yankees. If you know, and, and timing is everything sometimes, and you you played these teams later and you've beat them some, but with the team they had in that, you wondered if you would have opened with Minnesota and Toronto and Detroit or something, how the season could have been different. I mean, you can't change it and whatever else, but you know, it was a shame they ended up facing those teams early that often, and they got into a hole. They absolutely did, and and uh, I look th- again. I think Blake Snell is going to win the Cy Young now. We, we talked about whether this was possible, and it didn't seem like it was. But with 20 wins, with that ERA. Um, Barring you know, a blow-up in his next, you know, he's probably got uh, two starts left. Two starts left. Maybe they only start him one if they're already eliminated, just to preserve his numbers. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's possible. But I, I think I think he's done enough. If he, does, if he doesn't get a decision, um, you know, in these next two games – I'm just saying something it. where his ERA blows up or something is more. You know. Oh right, no, yeah, he could always, yeah, he could yeah, he, always, he could take a know. loss and give up a run or two and be okay, but sure, you know, you don't want one of those go, you know, an inning in two thirds giving up eight runs. Right, no, it's to me, to me, he's been the best pitcher in the American League and and uh, and should probably win it, and that would be. Um, only the second time, you know, joining David Price as their Cy Young Award winner. So. I think it's I think it's pretty amazing how the Cy Young, you know, it's kind of turning into almost obvious picks. I mean, it's Jacob Degrom in the National League, even though his record's below five hundred, but he's had a phenomenal season. And then Blake Snell. I mean, I, I, right. I you, you're starting to almost think there's not even an argument for anybody else in either league. Right, and I mean. You know, Jacob DeGrom pitches in the America, in the National League. So, I mean, what Snell has done facing DHs, mm-hmm. you got you got to put that on some some kind of a curve, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we go from uh, one superstar with the Rays to another one who is not playing and is back in the news nonetheless. Fitz Bucks Magic? quarterback James Fitz Magic. Oh, <laughs> no, wrong guy. Bucks quarterback Jameis Winston. Fitzmagic Magic is playing. Um, was sued 
That's right. He was sued on Tuesday by the Arizona Uber driver who accused him of sexual assault uh, for uh, groping her back in March of 2016. Uh, the woman who's identified only as Kate P in uh, some federal court papers seeking more than $75,000 in damages after uh, she said Winston grabbed her, of course, uh, uh, back uh, in that drive through Mexican restaurant. Now, this comes, you know, just weeks after the eight-month NFL investigation. Of course, Winston is serving that three-game suspension. Some interesting quotes, you know, from John Clune, who's her attorney, and that is also the attorney of Erica Kinsman, who he reached a settlement with, a settlement with after uh, she accused him of uh, sexual assault when they were students at Florida State. And what John Clune said in his statement was about his client was she is unimpressed by his continued lack of honesty or awareness into his behavior. Maybe more direct, maybe a more direct financial penalty will get his attention. He needs to learn from this and have some genuine insight or pay the penalty. She knows that she might just be a speed bump for him in his football career, but she is not going to be a small one. <laughs> Look, I, a lot of people have come out, you know, after seeing that that uh, that she has sued Jameis Winston and said, "Aha, you know, this was a woman that says she was inspired by the Me Too movement. She wasn't seeking any money." And then, of course, we know, you know, shortly thereafter, she hired John Clune, and you know that would indicate that indeed she was going to get some kind of a civil suit or. or, or you know, some seek some kind of financial, you know, relief here. But the the fact that this is in the newspaper, Steve, or you know, in this case on the news, we broke the story. Matt Baker, um, and and I helped out with that. Uh, broke the story on Tuesday night about this filing. It should have never. It should have never been filed. I mean, all I can say about this is that you know, Jameis Winston had gone through the process of, you know talking to the NFL. I mean, this was sort of, you know, that, that suspension, which could have been six games, was reduced to three games, and it was really sort of a plea bargain deal, if you will. It's like the first time the NFL has done that. I mean, usually these things go to court. There's all kinds of stays. We saw it with Tom Brady. We saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. But this one, um, you know, Jameis Winston had representation and, you know, and, and what seemed to be pretty good representation to to get his – penalty reduced to three games that was that was the agreement and said okay so now he's he's serving the suspension and he'll come back Tuesday after the Monday night game um, and so he's sort of out of sight which is you know good for the organization you go away and of course Ryan Fitzpatrick has played you know out of his mind and is you know player of the week every week and doing the whole Conor McGregor thing with the jewelry and all that uh, and that's it that's a good story but now before he even gets back in the building here comes you got to rehash this entire case again and all the salacious details are in there. Nothing has changed, uh, really, in, to, to any great extent that you know that the NFL hasn't already revealed through their investigation. But it's an unforced error in this sense, and that is, you know, she's going to get some kind of settlement. Now, it's it's only uh, it's a matter of mediation. This thing should have gone to mediation, except that a couple weeks ago, he dismissed his attorneys. To my knowledge, Jameis has no representation right now. He he does not have an attorney. So basically, you know, with no one to go to mediation with, Kloon, you know, facing probably some statute, uh, uh, you know, statute limitation deadlines that they had extended, says, well, you know, I got to file. And, you know, at some point, Winston will have representation, and he doesn't have a football agent at this point either. 
But but none of this seems to me that it should have been back in the news. You know what I mean? It seems to me like, and again, I don't. I assume she's asking probably for more money than he wants to to even give her, and he maybe he doesn't want to give her a dime. Um, but that aside, what is this costing him again uh, to have you know his name um, smeared all over you know the nation for this? And here's a second woman. I mean, the guy's going to become Bill O'Reilly after a while. Well, it, it, it's a you know it's definitely a misstep by Jameis if they didn't want to file, if they just wanted to settle. You know, as you're saying that, you know, had he had attorneys, maybe they did. Now it's possible that Kate P and and, his, and her attorney were going to file no matter what. You know, I, possibly. I, I don't know that. Maybe you know more than I do on this. Yeah, um, I think they wanted. I think they were headed to mediation. You know, sometimes I mean, people want to file just for the publicity and everything else. And if right. you want to be that big speed bump, then maybe you were looking for the attention of that. Sure. Um, sure. Although maybe that you're just doing that because you couldn't go to mediation, which is how maybe she preferred it. My my sense of it is because I you know mm-hmm. certainly uh, you know was familiar with a lot of the things that were going on during the the whole process. My sense of it is is that that's where they were headed was to mediation, and then all of a sudden he dismissed his attorneys. And you know so if you have if you have one party that's anxious to get something going, and remember. They had to agree to extend a statute of limitations. I mean, they were asked to do so. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, they could have filed months and months and months ago. They thought it was in their best interest because Jameis didn't have a football agent. Um, the football agent would generally help him get counsel for this other case. And so I think Clune and his, his people, you know, uh, his client were willing to wait until that occurred. And then when they lost their all their counsel altogether um, – now he'll get representation now, but they—I think they felt like this was a necessary step, you know, to to sort of force the issue. So, I don't know. I think I would have probably done everything I could, you know, short of giving away the farm. But that's what mediation is for, you know. If if they'll agree to it, and again, I'm not in—I'm not in the meeting, so I don't know what they would or wouldn't agree to. But, um, you know, then a third party, you know, sort of runs back and forth between rooms and negotiates negotiates a settlement, and and it's done in private and. You know, you don't have no, another story with these salacious details again that comes out before he rejoins his, the, the team. I, it's just, it's a bad, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not a good story for him. Well, espe- um, especially as he's looking to come back from the suspension and may yeah. not even be the starter. Right, right. And so, you know, and I, I'll tell you somebody else who's not going to be happy about this. The National Football League. No. The, the National Football League probably had every expectation and may have been told that, you know, during this sort of plea bargained punishment, if you will, that things would be buttoned up after that. That Jameis would agree to certain counseling, uh, primarily alcohol counseling and, and other things, and that this was, this was going to be handled. Now, you know, they can't force a guy or, or you know they can't force a player to you know negotiate some settlement because you know somebody's going to sue them civilly however they can't be happy about this headline and and so you wonder now if the league won't you know dive back into it not that they'll give him more games but they might if he hasn't done other things you know what i mean like what else haven't you taken care of uh, i assume he's doing the counseling thing i assume that um, you know, since since he's mentioned in his statement that alcohol played a big role, that that's 
that's being taken care of. I know he's working out. I mean, the reports are he's had a team of people working him out. He's going to be in phenomenal shape. Um, he will have practiced uh, on a schedule that is similar to what the Bucks have been doing since he's been gone. So, you know, the football side of it, he's taken care of. And and I'm sure that he's probably more than happy that his team is 2-0 and right now and probably hoping like hell they're going to be 3-0 and by the time he goes back to work Tuesday morning. Um, because that was the big thing, right, that when Jameis did this, remember Dirk Cutter saying he's put his team in a terrible position. He's put us in it, you know, himself in a terrible position. Well, it turns out he put his, himself in more of a terrible position. Yeah. His, te- his teammates are, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better word, bailing him out. Totally. Totally. And Fitzmagic is real. And now um, there's probably more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A few people in the Winston camp and not Jameis himself, but probably more than a few people that are like, uh-oh, you know, and, and what just happened? He, you know, he just provided an opportunity for somebody else to go out there and shine, and now now the entire Tampa Bay area. I'm telling you, Steve, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that the way professional sports is and sports in general, and that is it's kind of like, um, like the movie Toy Story. You know, one day it's Woody and Woody's your guy, and you're Andy's toy, and they get the Woody sheets and the whole thing, and then all of a sudden Buzz Lightyear shows up. And then and then it's all Buzz. Well, <laughs> you know, they always, they the always next... talk about sports, always talks about next man up, and teams next always talk guy. about this. You know, Somebody's injured, yeah. somebody's suspended. What It's next man up. Next... Well, the honest truth is the fans are the same way. Absolutely. If you're not getting it done today and this guy is, next man up. Yeah. and We'll, I've, we'll get I've behind got... Fitzpatrick or Jameis, or if Ryan Griffin all of a sudden was – you know, something happened He'd to Fitzpatrick, and he was he was throwing four hundred yards and four touchdowns. Ryan Griffin would be the guy. Yep, yep. They don't care. Fans are fans, and I get so much so much mail and so many comments and people on Twitter um, talking about you know how well good you know now it's now it's Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick. They're all in, and and, and I mean it's two games. Who wouldn't be through for four hundred yards and four touchdowns? I get it. The guy, you know, the guy looks like Kurt Warner right now, uh, in his in his prime. But it's you know how quickly they forget you, and that that's probably something that Winston is experiencing for the first time. I mean, having football taken away from him, it's never other than the one game he was suspended against Clemson, um, you know, for standing on the student union and saying what he said or whatever. He's never really had to sit out and been been told somebody else, and watch someone else do his job and do it better than he's done it. You know, this is the thing. When other guys went in for him, they didn't necessarily play better than he did. Uh, in this case, the team can't play better. You got Deshaun Jackson coming out now. And Deshaun Jackson, if you missed those comments, came out and said, you know, you got to stay with the hot guy. You got to stay with Fitz. Um, there's, there's probably a number of other people. And, you know, we've talked about this. I wrote a comment about it in the Tampa Bay Times, and I think we talked about it on the podcast, that, you know, the Bucks 
are going to ride this wave, and, and it's obvious now that Fitzpatrick is not only going to play Monday night, but he's also going to play in Chicago on September 30th. And that's because, you know, Winston will come in here, will not have played in like 37 days by the time they play that game. Um, and so they're going to say for all the world that, you know what, you know, Jameis is – we got a short week and we're going to ride – we're going to go with Fitzpatrick. Unless he just absolutely stinks up the joint on Monday night and it's just like, oh, no, you know, Ryan is who we thought he was or something like that. And then we got to get somebody else in there. But that's that's not likely to happen. Or if he gets hurt, you know, that sort of thing. So they're going to go with Fitzpatrick in Chicago, and then they're going to go to the bye week. And, you know, the organization has shown no signs of saying, like other teams have, like Philadelphia with Wentz, that, you know, we're going to our, we're going to back to our starter. You know, Jameis is our starting quarterback, and, you know, our backup did really well, and, and our starter will start at Atlanta. And so it's going to be sort of a wait-and-see thing, and, you know, this could be this could be an extended period of time that, that Jameis Winston is is not running out there as a starting quarterback. And if that happens, I think it's it's going to be dangerous as an organization to sort of switch uh, and, and, in a sense, throw away the quarterback. Now, you could say, well, he's the quarterback of the future, but what future? You know, you've guaranteed him only against injury $20 million as a fifth-year option, but is Jameis going to want to play here if, if you fall in love with Fitz and he takes you where? You know, and is Fitz going to actually get you to the postseason and beyond? How far can he take a team at this stage? And and what is his deal? Well, he's not even signed for next year. So if you lose Jameis, then Fitz becomes, you know, say he re-signs for a year or two, he becomes, you know, Josh McCown, the bridge quarterback to whoever your next guy winds up being. That is not a position you want to be in the National Football League. There's too many teams like that, you know, the Buffaloes and – well, the Jets now who seem to be happy with Sam Darnold, but my point is is that you're like all those teams searching for the next young quarterback and trying to spackle it together in the meantime. So well, I, I still this, say, and we talked about this you know, yesterday in the podcast, what do the Bucks, and in, in, in specifically the Glazers, Jason Light, Dirk Cutter, right. and maybe a few others, what do they truly think of Jameis Winston? I don't think we know the answer. Publicly, publicly, they're always going to say they're fully behind him, and they, yeah. you know, think I he's, can't he's speak, the franchise I cannot quarterback. Cannot speak for Dirk. I, I will say this: I don't know. I really don't know what. To, although I think Dirk really likes him. Um, I'm not talking about liking. I'm saying no, no, no. As I you're mean, making this decision, was going okay? Do we ride the hand of, of Fitzpatrick, or do yeah. we go to Jameis? Because, and we talked about this too. Jason Light and Dirk Cutter are probably coaching and and making decisions win. for their jobs this year. They got to win. Yeah. So, you know they have to be completely confident that Jameis can do the same things that Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing right now, or do him better to make that change. Or do it better, point. right? Right. And and, and, and if you and believe think, that, and you're willing to put your career on the line for that, because that's probably what they would do if they make that decision, then you do it. If you're not see, sold on it, then you have to stay with Fitzpatrick, and you have to worry about next year. Next year. This is where you know the coach and the GM. Uh, in other words. In this case, they're both probably – I think their futures are probably linked together because, you know, Jason has been here four years already and they haven't made the playoffs and they've had one winning season. They finished last three out of four years. And we know Dirk's on the hot seat just because, as he said last year when they kept him, that he thought it was a courageous move by the by the Glazers. Mm-hmm. So in each case, Sunday becomes the biggest day for these two guys. Normally what you want, you know, let the coach worry about Sunday. He's only going to think about Sunday. That's what the check and balance is with the GM who says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I got to think about, you know, the next three, five, ten years. And that being the case, he would be looking at Winston and saying, no, this this is the guy we've invested in. We've got a lot of resources, first-round pick, four years of development and training, uh, all the experience we gave him. We're not going to let him go someplace else and become a Super Bowl champion. You know, we, we have to stick with it. And what's in the best interest, the long-term interest, you know, someone has to take the long view. And I'm, I'm wondering if everybody's taking the long view. But I, know, I do know this, and I can't speak for Dirk, but there's no question in my mind that Jason Light loves Jameis Winston. I mean, he thinks he's the quarterback, okay? Now, how he can't, you know, coach his coach, right? And, and mm-hmm. so they have to decide who's starting, and, and, you know, but nothing's done in a vacuum here. The other part of this that you have to remember is where does the ownership come down? You know, they're loving this as much as anybody watching the Bucks win and start 2-0 for the first time since 2010 and put up the kind of numbers that they could only dreamed about, you know, 48 points and, you know, this sort of thing. But they also love Jameis Winston. They have stuck by that guy. They've had full-throated endorsements of him, even through this suspension. It's been remarkable. So they may be a factor in deciding, you know, how they're going to move forward, you know, organizationally. I think that that Dirk Cutter and Jason Light and them think this is going to be obvious. I think they feel that as great as Ryan Fitzpatrick has played, there's going to be a slowdown here somewhere, you know, whether it's in Chicago, you know, with Khalil Mack or, you know, maybe Monday night in the national stage. Uh, at some point, teams are going to stop letting Ryan Fitzpatrick throw the ball over their heads. And that's if – you, if you look back on it, I mean, they have – it's been feast or phantom. They, they, they have hit so many big passing plays, you know, over 50-yard passing plays, that it's unprecedented. And at some point, that's going to slow down. It just has to. Somebody's going to make them win a different way. And, you know, we'll see then if Ryan Fitzpatrick is good enough to make the adjustment and what happens if those guys don't hit 75-yarders. And, and then that'll tell the tell. But if it doesn't, if he starts 4-0, and obviously he's going to keep going. And then you just wonder how Winston sort of integrates into the whole deal. But this was, this was a news, a headline that I think is bad for him, particularly since he's coming back. I don't think the timing is coincidental. You know, John Clune has a way of, of filing lawsuits uh, at the most embarrassing times as he can. Uh, and it's strategic, and it gets, it it gets his attention. Is. And so, you know, we'll see how they move forward from here. But wasn't a story that I was happy to work on, I can tell you that. But you were happy to work on another story for the Bucks. I was. I was. Um, it was kind of a neat one, actually. We went out to the Tampa Police uh, Department training facility. You know, I mean, we can go back, and I, I don't want to litigate and, and talk necessarily in, in great detail about Colin Kaepernick, and we know how whole, that whole thing started. Um, you know, in, in the summer of 2016, there were a number of well-publicized, uh, you know, uh, black men um, being shot at, you know, various traffic stops and by police and things like that. And he had the Kaepernick, um, you know, taking a knee and protesting, you know, what he said was like social injustice and that sort of thing. Um, and then we know sort of how that dissolved uh, around the NFL into other protests and then fans getting mad and, you know, uh, Trump weighing in, you know, last year, and then you had Deshaun and you had Mike Evans. And so we've, we've kind of lived sort of the history of, of this thing with respect to, uh, uh, you know, the social injustice angle. Well, the Bucks 
and their players did something about this. And I think it's really cool. I know Chicago announced it later today, and I think they said they were the first ones. It was actually Tampa Bay, I think, is the first group that is, has you know gotten the players and the organization together and decided you know what they're going to do um, as, as a team. Uh, and so this was the first step of this, but they began what is you know the Bucks Social Justice Initiative. And it's really pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, the, the ownership has pledged a million dollars that they will match the players' you know, investments or donations. So you're talking about a, a possibility of $2 million towards programs, you know, throughout Tampa Bay to help promote social justice. So they formed a board uh, of this initiative, and it includes Deshaun Jackson, Gerald McCoy, Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet, those are the board members. And there were about, I think, 20 players altogether that, uh, you know, went to this uh, these demonstrations and um, scenario-based exercises at the TPD training facility, which is really kind of cool. But they're going to have, you know, they're going to have a, it's, it's like a player-led year-round sort of initiative. And their motto is, we are the change. And you know, it's 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 going to be it's going to be really good. I mean, I think it's it's a nice cooperation between the two of them. Uh, I'll get into sort of the demonstrations and things, but it was it's sort of like today was about understanding sort of the jobs that police have and the and the and the, the the decisions they have to make in short order. You know, these officers are trained um, to try to defuse situations that they face every day. We went into this simulator, Steve. It was really cool. It's like it's just a building. And they have they have done these simulations with real people, videos of real people, and you know these officers who have um, sort of modified tasers and and, and weapons that, that that they can point at a, at a wall or a screen that's playing this video, and they'll encounter different situations. Whether it's a traffic stop, guy gets out of his car and pointing a gun to his head, and based on your commands and and how you handle the situation, that person on the screen reacts differently. You know what I mean? If you're able to diffuse it, it reacts one way. Um, if, if you really don't, if the commands aren't clear and different things, then then that person might actually attack you. And and so they put the players through these simulators and let them try to negotiate the various scenarios that officers come in, come in contact with every day. And, you know, what they found out was, um, you know, you know, you see things happen in real time you know, on television and you go, well, you know, police, police officers should have done this, should have done that and whatever. And a lot of times it's tragic result in all of that. Um, but Deshaun Jackson, for example, he says, you know, I was a police officer doing in his simulation, a regular traffic stop. And I got up to the car and they just started shooting at me. <laughs> he was like, I was like, I didn't have any time to react. You know, I wasn't even expecting that. So I, I think it was, it was, you know, good in terms of sort of understanding uh, each other's, you know, uh, perspectives, and then they had a lot of Q and A, and and things where they were able to, uh, you know, to talk about, you know, some of the things that uh, that, that what their concerns are. But it, it it was it's really I I give the I give the Bucks credit because I, I know the Bears announced this later today. They're putting up five hundred thousand dollars for sort of a similar cooperation with their players. But I just I give them credit for for this initiative. It's really kind of a cool thing. Look, the protests that have gone on in the, in the NFL, and and I know people sit there and say they're protesting the national anthem, which has never been what they're protesting. But 
No. Some people disagree with what they're protesting, don't agree with them, and that's that's what makes America great is that you can agree or disagree with people all the time. But sure. one of the things people always say is, you know, it's great that the players protest, but they don't do anything about it. And it's it's always yep. nice when people are passionate about a subject that they actually get behind it, whether it's financial, whether it's participating or both in this case. You know, I applaud that. Whether you agree or disagree with what they're doing, they believe in something and they're going to they're going to get behind it and take some action and do something, which is ultimately what you want instead of just protesting to protest when people actually get involved and and try to make a difference. And and in this case, even learn and educate themselves and maybe maybe change their views a little bit on things because you didn't necessarily understand something. Um, I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, no, it's good. And and they're, they're like, I, you know, there are four areas they identified. And the players all did this. I mean, this is with the help of the ownership. But this, you know, this went back to a year ago when, when the National Anthem and the whole controversy. And, uh, of course, you had a couple of players on the Bucks kneel and everything. But they had discussions about it as a team. And they decided, you know, we need to be the solution. Uh, and, and the owners helped facilitate those, those discussions. And this is what it has led to. So they have four areas uh, that they agreed need the most help. Um, police relations, the criminal justice uh, reform, racial equality, and then youth empowerment. And so they got three more of these scheduled uh, for this year, and then it goes, it rolls into January. Um, but it includes like the Ready for Work uh, ex-offender training program uh, in a prison crusade with A. Brown Ministries, and then they have a juvenile justice mentoring event um, with G3 uh, Life Apps. So there, there's going to be a number of these still still to come. And, and I think uh, each of them are a little bit different, but you know, this, this is how you change, you know, society and this is their community and they know they have, they have a big platform, right? These are, these are role models. They don't, they're not shrinking from it. They, they know they have a voice. They know they can, and they lend their time and they've always lent their time. I mean, Tuesdays in the NFL are the players day off, so to speak. But I'm telling you, if you ever look at the Bucks community relations calendar, it is chock full of guys spending their one day off of the week during the season and visiting hospitals and doing things with their own foundations and doing things in the community. It's a good group of guys, um, and they're not just trying to win on the field. They're also trying to make the place they live better. And, and I think that, um, you know, things like this, it's been widely applauded, you know, on social media, and the, the reaction has been terrific uh, with the stories we've written about it. Um, so it was really, really kind of a cool thing. And it was it was neat to see. Um, you know, them sort of appreciate uh, the jobs that uh, police officers and, and the like have uh, and how difficult those jobs are. And, it, and it's a bad parallel. That, you know, obviously they're making life and death situations at any given moment. And, you know, their jobs are, you know, you wake up every morning as a police officer. You don't, you know, your family doesn't know if you're going to make it home that night. Uh, with every traffic stop, there, there could be peril. But, um, you know, the one thing that, that they they kind of got to talking about their own jobs and it was like, yeah, you know, when you play in the National Football League, you get way too much scrutiny for everything and you have to make decisions really quick, you know, and, you, and if you don't make the right one, then, you know, it winds up costing your team. Well, of course, it could cost you your life or someone else's life in police, but they, they understood each other in sort of a sort of a level uh, and could relate that way. But uh, really enjoyed, you know, the people out at uh, Tampa Police Department. They're going to do going to do more of these with uh, other agencies like like the Hillsborough County Sheriff's and whatnot. So um, that part was really really cool today. And speaking of the NFL, I don't know if you caught this or not, but there was an announcement 
by a group of pro football Hall of Fame players uh, led by Eric Dickerson. And uh, their effort is to, uh, is to try to get more money and benefits, insurance and the like, um, you know, for all players, but, but in particular for NFL players that have made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. These are uh, Hall of Fame players that feel that because they were the, they're the best ambassadors of the game, um, they're still counted to do things to help promote the Pro Football Hall of Fame and other things that uh, they deserve some special benefits, you know, set apart uh, for them specifically, including they, they enumerated things like a $300,000 a year salary for Hall of Famers, um, as well as insurance and different things. And, you know, they're, they're saying or they alleged that in this, in this statement, which was signed by uh, just a number of Hall of Famers that were supposedly on the board of directors of this, of this group, that they would boycott the 100th year anniversary of the Pro Football Hall of Fame next year uh, if, if some of these demands uh, weren't met. They felt like the NFL has enough money and that they deserve, you know, some revenue sharing and things like this. And it came across really bad. And for starters, uh, Derek Brooks's name was on the list of being like part of the board of, of directors or board of this group. And other players like Kurt Warner and Jerry Rice, they – may have had one or two conversations with Eric Dickerson's group, but they did not agree uh, to be part of this board. And individually, they all came out and started making statements that, no, 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 I didn't know this is what uh, what it was about. Because it was, it was, I don't know, it came across as sort of arrogant. Like, it was like, well, wait a minute, we're, we were the Hall of Fame players, but we're, we're separating ourselves from all other players with all the needs that are out there uh, in saying that, you know, you have to, uh, you have to address us individually. Um, and it, it just, it didn't go over very well. So I don't know ultimately what this will, you know, what this will drive in terms of, um, you know, better cooperation between the league and its players. But, um, Derek Brooks took his name off of this thing, Jerry Rice and others. And, uh, and it shrunk. So it was kind of a, kind of a weird day for that. And finally, Steve, you were at the Tampa Bay Lightning who had their first preseason game. Gosh, it's hard to believe that hockey is here and they're playing an actual game and they lost to the Carolina Hurricane 4-1, to one. but uh, I don't know. How'd they look? Did they play many of their starters? I saw where Vasilevsky was in that. A lot of starters, uh, Stamkos, Kucherov, Brayden Point, Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat. Uh, mm-hmm. Presumably five of your six defensemen all played, uh, Mikhail Sergachev being the only one that you assume is going to make the team that didn't. It was, it was uh, I would say, an uninspired effort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the first preseason game. No one's going at it really hard. I mean, at Phil Esposito at one point, I think we were late in the first period, and he's like, has anyone done a body check yet? <laughs> no uh, one hits From either team. Season, I mean, right? I mean, they do a little bit, but, you know, some of the younger guys trying to make a, you know. A, Name for themselves. Well, trying to get noticed and, you know, trying to make teams on either side. You know, Carolina did, really had none of their starters there, and, and I expect, you know, tomorrow or tonight as the Lightning will play at Carolina that, you know, everyone who played last night of the starters isn't going to be there. And so you're not going to have many of your, your big names go there early in the preseason. They don't. Um, right. You know, it's kind of, you know, the early spring training games. It's, you know, they're out there. They're going through the motions. They're getting some work in. But it's not the most inspired effort. Vasilevsky let a couple softies in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought, you know, of the young guys, I thought uh, Matthew Joseph looked really good. I mean, he probably was the best lightning player tonight. Hmm. Um. We didn't see the young defenseman. Um, Volkov looked okay. Uh, he's got a shot to make the team this year. 
Um, but, you know, a lot of the younger guys are going to play uh, tonight in Carolina or maybe Friday in Nashville. Uh, and then the Lightning are home again Saturday for the preseason. So, um, yeah, there's not there's not many spots on that team, but they but you know like Braden Point made this team a year ago, and I I don't know that many people would have thought that that would have been the case with him. Yeah, there's so you know the the top nine forwards are probably pretty set. Um, Cedric Paquette's probably going to anchor that fourth line, uh, but Callahan's going to be out at least the first month of the season, maybe a little longer. So you've got a couple spots there. Adam Ernie looks like he's probably going to take one of those spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got some, you know, some other guys. And on the defensive core, John Cooper has been talking a lot about Eric Chernak, um, how well he's looked. Um, my guess is he'll still start at Syracuse, mostly to get more ice time, because uh, you know you pretty much your top six defensemen are probably you know Strawman, McDonough, Hedman, Girardi, Coburn, and Sergachev. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's later. Cuckoo's get, it has to pass through waivers to go down there, so he's going to be your seventh defenseman. So you're probably not bringing Chernak up to start the season to sit on the bench. You know, an injury happens or something like that, then maybe you bring him up because if you're going to bring him up, you want him to play. He's young, young defenseman. Cal Foot's another one that possibly could, although I think Chernak at this point makes it first. Um, but those are guys in the future because the other part, and, and this is where we talked with the Jameis Winston thing, and you always got to be thinking for the future. So the Lightning this year, you know, are trying to win the Cup. And they've got a very veteran defensive core. The, the six guys we mentioned, Sergeyev's young, but the other ones are veterans. But after next season, Strawman, Girardi, and Coburn are not under contract anymore. And you're going to make decisions whether you're going to bring them back. I, I don't see them re-signing Coburn. Uh, Strawman, maybe. Girardi, Maybe. And a lot of it's going to depend on what you think of Chernak and Calfoot and some of the Dominic machine played tonight. And he was okay. Um, you know, what they're going to, you know, your confidence in them as far as next season. So that's when, you know, they're going to start making decisions for salary cap reasons next year. Is really what this, the, or the way the organization's been built up of signing Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman and McDonough and JT Miller and all these long term contracts is starting next year, you're going to start making decisions based on salary cap. As Kucherov's contract kicks in, and you're going to have to sign Vasilevsky soon for a deal in another year sure. or two, and and this, so then you're going to have to start going. Well, Girardi's, you know, three, four, five million. Now we're not going to go from him. Now we're going to bring up Eric Chernak or Cal Foot, or you know, and this is where that depth of the organization is important, and in, in, is particularly yeah. in a sport that has a salary cap, which three of the four do. Um, yeah, it's an allocation system. You can't pay yeah. everybody, so right? And, and as as players are getting older too, I mean, Girardi's in his thirties, and Strawman's in his thirties, and uh, you know, so as players are getting older and you start going, you know, where do I where do I want to spend my money and, and, you know, allocate assets like that? So, you know, starting after this offseason, you're going to start seeing a little more turnover on the Lightning roster. And it's going to be based on salary caps and contracts ending. So but that being said, you're going to want to probably see what Chernak can do up here for a part this year. Right. And a, maybe a Cal Foot or Dominic Machine. And, you know, now a lot of times injuries are going to happen and so that's when they're going to get their call-ups in that so but you know you you do want to you know the rays do this often is they'll let somebody go they'll let an echeveria go because they want adamas to play more that's right you got to clear the deck for those guys right. so four to one loss um you know doesn't mean anything much in preseason but i'll just say this i, I don't think they lose if steve eiserman is a gm do they uh, you know uh, tom jones put that tweet out uh, in the first <laughs> period when it was uh two nothing Carolina, and he says, boy, you know, the wheels really <laughs> fell off this organization with Breeze Watt. See? <laughs> it hasn't taken long, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be a story. It's going to be a story all year. 
That poor guy. I mean, all he has to do is make it back to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Final, and then he can, and then he can start his own legacy at that point. <laughs> Anything short of that is a failure. It's good to have hockey back. It's a short preseason, thank God. Uh, yeah, opening night is two games. weeks from Saturday, so. Yeah, that's the one thing I love about hockey. It's like they shake each other's hands and go, "Okay, we're ready." Yep, you pretty know, much. We, don't, we really don't. We stay in shape all year. We really don't have to play preseason games. This is stupid. I wish the NFL would adopt that whole routine themselves, but uh, they haven't quite figured that out yet. So, anyway, we appreciate you guys listening to us. We're here every Monday uh, through Friday, of course, and uh, we love your interaction. We're gonna have Tom Jones tomorrow. Is gonna join us of the Tampa Bay Times, and then uh, we'd like for you guys to. Maybe begin to submit some uh, mailbag questions for our popular mailbag segment that we uh, we do each week. Hey, and make sure that, uh, you know, if swimming with the manatees is on your bucket list, well, seven days a week you can do that at Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. Ask about their $30 manatee bronze tour, and be sure to ask for the free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military I'm telling you, I did this uh, years ago with uh, Chris Sims, of all people, the Bucks, former Bucks quarterback. Took my son up there, swam with the manatees. It is the coolest thing you can do. I'm not, I've lived here in Florida my whole life. I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. And, and when I did, these things are gentle giants, it's, and they, you, you literally swim with manatees. It, it's, it's just the neatest thing you'll ever do as a family. And so make sure you go up there and you uh, have a chance to, to do that at Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees. You can call them at 352-571-1888. Well, thanks again for joining us. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstink. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.